Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing this wonderful morning? Good. We were going to have a not-so-winter-fest, but it turns out we're having a winter-fest. Isn't that amazing that winter came back? Well, welcome to church. If this is your first time or your first time in a long time at the harbor, I just want to welcome you. It is so good to see each and every one of you today. If we haven't had the chance yet to meet, my name is Spencer. I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at the harbor, and it is my joy to share uh, with you today, to share the scriptures. First, before I do, I just want to take a moment and honor our pastor, Adam. Would you take a moment and just honor him with me? He's amazing. And no, I am not doing this for brownie points. In fact, I'll probably get a talking to later, but uh, I believe that honor is due um, to him. He's an incredible man. He loves each and every one of you. Shout out to all the kids in the house today. Kids, can you give me a shout? Oh, that was weak. Come on. Kids, can you give me a shout? Wow. I was expecting a lot more excitement. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. Well, hey, parents, just take a deep breath. I know what it feels like to have children with you in service. I know the panic and the stress that boils up within you when your child starts talking. Don't worry. I have three very little children, so I'm like basically a master at talking whilst being distracted. So it's totally fine. You are good to go. Hey, if you have yet to be here in the last few weeks, we are in a series called Unpopular Opinion. And we know that the, the world and its values and its opinions may not always be the truest thing. But we can't escape the fact that they subconsciously inform how we think how we view our relationships, how we view our children, our marriages, and sometimes they kind of seep in to what we believe. But the Bible is the absolute truth, and it stands firm on its convictions, right? But sometimes we just need a little bit of a realignment of what that actually is. So our first week, we talked about God's unconditional love and how the condition of love from God is unconditional. Sometimes we don't experience that in the world today, but from God we do. Last week, we talked about relationships, specifically marriage, and how we allow the one who designed relationships to define relationships. Now, I encourage you, if you have yet to listen to those messages or missed it, go back and listen. Last week was particularly hilarious. So I recommend that you take a listen at that uh, this week. And today we are talking about generational living, talking about what it means to live generationally and what that looks like. Um, so we live in an interesting world today. Normally, there are um, three to four generations alive at a time, but like this graph is beginning to show us, we live in a very interesting time where we have lots of generations. So let's go through this real quick. We have the silent generations from people born from ages, uh, years, sorry, 1928 to 1945. Do we have any silent generationers in the house today? Oh, amazing. We got one. That's incredible. Oh, two. Awesome. That's so good. All right, next we got the... Baby boomers, born from 1946 to 1964. We got any baby boomers in the house today? Wow, represent. Let's get it. Next, we got Generation X, and uh, this is the year, ages, sorry, years, 1965 to 1980. We got Gen Xers in the house today. Oh, represent. Okay, okay, we got the millennials. We have from years 1981 to 1996. Any millennials in the house? Come on, millennials, get it. All right, we got Gen Zers from years 1997 
to 2012. Any Gen Zs in the house today? Oh, that's quiet a bunch. That's a quiet, I was expecting more. I was expecting more, not going to lie. So if you go to the next slide there, we see that we have five generations of people living. We basically have a five people living in a three-bedroom house. And as you can see, it's a little bit disconnected. It's a little bit disjointed. And, and in this, what we're going to talk about today in the technological enlightenment of the world, basically we see a split between Gen X and down and millennials up. You see, for, now I'm going to stereotype a little bit here, so bear with me. But for the silent and boomer and X generations, here's a little bit of a characteristic of what life kind of experience. There's this German word called zeitgeist, and it's basically this idea of like the cultural vibe. That's the best way I can explain it. So this was kind of the reality of what the majority, now I know a lot of things happened in these generations, but the majority of these generations feel life was slower paced, right? There was a little bit of like breathing room. Now people worked hard, don't get me wrong, but there was a little bit of breathing room. Faith was a shared value. So no, not everyone shared the same faith, but the idea of faith, the value of faith, was common amongst the vast majority of people. Trust. There was, we, I notice it, <laughs> I'm with students all the time, but it's funny, in these generations, we're taught to trust authority pretty quickly. Positions of authority, like when you see someone like a pastor or a police officer or something, right? In these generations, it's, the trust is almost there pretty naturally, um, the morality, there's a high moral standard. Now, yes, there is a lot of evil in the world, but it doesn't change the fact that in these generations, the high reality was that there was like a level of morality in school systems and government and just how people respected one another and how this played out. But in these millennial generations and Gen Z in this next slide, you see through the technological enlightenment, we'll call it today, life kind of changed. Life became more frantic, right? The average work week stopped being 40 hours a week to 60 or 70 hours a week for most people. And that doesn't include, like, checking your emails every five seconds when you're going to the bathroom and all that kind of stuff. Faith is at the margins, you know? Faith, when you look on social media, when you see there is not a shared value of faith like there once was. Trust is not immediately had. It's immediately broken. Trust has to be built up over time in these generations. And morality, I'm going to, this is kind of a loose definition, but I'm going to use the word, there was a, there's a moral tolerance that we see in the world today, not in the, se in the sense that we tolerate morality, but if you don't tolerate someone else's morality, immediately you're canceled. Immediately you don't have an opinion that's worthy to be had. So there's this weird disconnected, disjointed, and we have five people living in a three-bedroom house, and, and the younger generation is trying to figure out how to cope with living the, with the older generation. The older generation doesn't know how to deal with this younger generation anymore because we're not the same. In this next graphic, we see, and we're going to talk about generational living as a whole, but as a student pastor, I'm going to target Gen Zers here today and how we can empower the next generation. Is that cool with you guys? Amazing. As we see here, this is uh, the Barna Group basically does statistics majorly around religious living, Christian faith, all that kind of stuff. So this is a stat that says, as a parent, how concerned are you about your child slash children's spiritual development? 
Now, as we can see from this graph, the more Christian you are, for lack of a better word, whether you're practicing or Christian, the more concerned you are for your child's spiritual growth, which kind of just makes sense. What fascinates me the most is the high percentage of non-Christian parents concerned about their child's spiritual development. What I noticed from this is that the general zeitgeist, that, that vibe, the cultural vibe of the world, is that we're fearful for the future generation. That we feel like there is something wrong. And if something doesn't change, something's going to happen. Something's going to crack. Something's going to break. And the popular opinion of the world, and often what I hear from older generations, is that Gen Z is a lost cause. That we have a problem ahead of us. That it's broken. That it's fractured. Almost that there can't be redemption because it is so disconnected and separated. But... I feel the Lord empower me today to encourage each and every one of us that God's opinion is that we don't have a problem. We have an opportunity ahead of us. Can I get an amen? We have an opportunity ahead of us. And just a little, I'm going to throw in a couple super shameless plugs here today just so you all know. But for all the parents out there, we're not talking about parenting specifically, although this does translate to a lot of you. I just want to say you're doing great. You're doing awesome. It's hard. My children are very young, five, three, and not even one. And uh, parenting is difficult, and I am with teenagers all the time, so I kind of get a little bit about what life is like. So for all you parents out there, for kids, teenagers, you're doing awesome. And I want you to know today that we are here to champion you, to support you. It is my firm belief that you are the pastors of your home that you are the number one disciplers of your children. And if you are here today and you're saying, you know what, I want to go on this journey of raising my children up in the faith, you're doing awesome. You're doing awesome. Cool? You're doing awesome. There's this woman, her name's Margaret Mead, and Margaret was a cultural anthropologist in the mid-60s, and she said this quote at the time, throughout human history, in all cultures, parents and grandparents have helped their young understand life and the future. However, I anticipate that a time is coming where technology and culture changes so fast that for the first time in human history, children will have to figure out for themselves what their values will be. Now, this is kind of heavy. This is kind of, but, so, we know that this isn't the truth. Margaret is not a Christian. But we can't escape the fact that when you and I read that, it kind of feels true, right? It kind of feels like, oh, yeah, through being on their phone all the time, through being in a cultural world that isn't the one that you grew up in, we're kind of worried that our children, that the younger generation, Gen Zers, have to figure out morality and values on their own. We live in a postmodern, individualistic world, whereas truth, and this is the culture's opinion, the new way of life is individual living. Gen Z has to figure out the truth in themselves and for themselves. So basically, there's this thing called self-actualized truth where it's like, I need to find my truth, and that thing is the truest thing. But the reality is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Can I get an amen? So we believe firmly that they don't actually have to figure out their values or morals on their own. We know what that is, right? We know what that is. So individualistic living is not the way of the kingdom. One pastor said, individualism is not a kingdom quality. How amazing is that? We are not called to live individually, but God's opinion, God's framework 
is that generational living is God's plan from the beginning. Amen? Generational living is God's plan from the beginning. Let's look at Exodus 3, verse 15. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. Listen to this. This is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered through all generations. See, God just doesn't just say, like, I am the God of these people. He says he is a generational God with a generational name for a generational timeline. That means from eternity and for eternity, generational living is God's idea. And you and I are going to be called today to walk into that further and deeper. Amen? Let's read this psalm together in Psalm 78, verses 4 through 7. It says, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Listen to this, that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise to tell them to their children so that they should set so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. This is God's plan. The older generation would tell the younger generation and the younger generation would tell the even younger generation that God is good. He is glorious and his commandments they're not to harm you. They're to keep you pure and keep you holy. This is good. This is righteous. And in that, in that, in that living, that's how our children set their hope in God, through generational living, through telling and passing on to the younger generations what God has done. So in light of that, how are we going to live generationally? I'm calling each and every one of us. This is not just a parenting message. This is not just a message for students, but this is for every single person in this room from the oldest to the youngest, we are going to rise up and we're going to take on that generational mantle. Are you cool with that? Awesome. Number one, we are going to pray for this generation. There's this lady, her name's Mavis. Mavis has been in a church for a really, really long time. We have a couple Mavises here at this church. Mavis was volunteering in the youth group from as soon as she got saved as a young adult and basically volunteered in the youth group until it was kind of like super awkward. She probably shouldn't have been in the youth group. But Mavis reached a point where she was in her mid to late 80s and she was moving into a nursing home. And she went to the youth pastor at this church at the time and said, how can I serve you? How can I serve your youth ministry? And this youth pastor, let's call her Jackie for fun. She said, Mavis, I need you to pray. I need you to pray for our students. So Mavis committed to praying. And uh, these two girls came to youth group for the very first time. They were in grade nine. Didn't know Jesus. Didn't experience God whatsoever, but just started coming to youth group. And Jackie, the youth pastor, had a big burden for these girls. So she gave their names to Mavis. And Mavis committed to praying for these two girls. Fast forward four years. These girls are graduating high school. They've accepted Jesus. They're totally super fresh, starting on this journey of walking with God. So the day after their graduation, the youth pastor says, come on, girls, we're going to go for a field trip. They're like, where are we going? They're like, it's fine. Just relax. We're going. And then so they go on this field trip, and they show up at this nursing home 
And these girls just graduated grade 12. They're like, what are we doing at a nursing home? This is ridiculous. And uh, Jackie, the youth pastor, brings these girls into Mavis's room. And there's a pitcher of orange juice and some cookies on the table. And, and it's this incredible thing. And on this table, there's cards just littered all over the table, dated from every year all throughout their high school career with their names written on it. And Mavis gave them these cards. And, and they had never heard of Mavis. They had never known her. But they left that place weeping that someone who never met them, didn't even know them, had so much love and compassion for them, that they would commit to praying for these students to know Jesus. And let me tell you today, there are some Mavises in this house. There are not only the ones that are already committed, but there are some of you that I, I believe that I can call you higher and deeper. You see here on uh, the first Tuesday of every, second Tuesday of every, second Tuesday of every month, which was this past Tuesday, we have morning prayer. And uh, it's beautiful, and it's super awesome, and I'm not I love each and every one of you that come. I'm not calling you old. But for the vast majority of them, they are in the older generations. And that's awesome. It's super great. We have Mavis's litter throughout our church coming. And this, this past Tuesday, we separated into groups. And uh, I, nobody wanted to pair with me. So I was by myself, not going to lie. <laughs> no shade to each and every one of you. Just kidding. People prayed with me. It's fine. And... Uh, <laughs> and they were all broken off, and so I just walked around the room, and I totally snooped on what everyone's praying about. And I kid you not, every single one of them were praying for children and students. Every single one. Let me tell you today, young people, there are people praying for you. There are people praying for your children, for your families to know Jesus. But I say that to you not only as an encouragement, but a challenge. We need young people at prayer. We need young people at prayer coming and committing themselves to praying for their younger generations. Because let me tell you something, prayer works. Can I give you that today? Prayer works. So, few things that I can point out that we can pray for the younger generation. And this is for all of us. We can pray for them to fear and revere God. It is the beginning of wisdom, and let me tell you, that is what we need. Psalms 34.11 says, come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Our children, my children, myself included, need people older than me to come, and come alongside us, not even just physically, but pray with us, to pray for us, to pray for our children that we would receive fear and reverence for God. And that's not like a scary kind of fear. That's like an honor kind of fear, if you've never heard that word before. That's like God's the most important thing. That's kind of what it's all about, right? Our priorities are set straight. We can pray for them to be surrounded with divine favor. Psalms 5.12 says, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor, sorry, with favor as with a shield. And this is one of those things that, like, you don't really see the fruit of these prayers while your children are teenagers because they're punks and they don't see anything. No shade to all you teenagers out there, but I was one of them. Um, and, yeah, so uh, they, 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 won't, they might not see it now, but I promise you, if each and every one of us commit to praying this for our children and for our students, by the time they come out of that age and they become young adults and they commit their lives to God, like for real, for real, and they're totally ready to go in, I guarantee you they will see, look back, and see the goodness of God over their lives. 
I promise you, I see it in my life, in my worst I'm just, I cry sometimes. I'm just going to tell you that now. It's genuine, I promise. Um, (laughs) I tell you right now, I look back in my life, in my worst days, when I was a total rebellious punk of a teenager, and I look back and I see the prayers of my parents and those around me covering me with divine favor and protecting me from going down the other path. So do that. Pray for God to bring godly friends and influences into your students' lives. Can I get an amen, church? This is so crucial and vital. I look back at my own life and I see every road that misled me away from Jesus was because an influence brought me there. We've been talking about this actually a lot this last little bit. Good, bad company corrupts good character. You know, as an iron sharpens an iron, so a friend sharpens another. We need our students and our children to have godly friends and influences to be accountable to one another and to stir each other on in the faith. So we need to pray for our generation. Pray for our generation. Number two, we need to prioritize church. Now, I'm not just giving you a shameless plug because we're in church because you're already here. But we need to prioritize church. And I'm not just talking like coming to church. I'm talking like being at church. You know what I mean? Like being here, being present. When I was a kid, I went to church every Sunday, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. My entire life. My entire life. And uh, I'm pretty sure I went to the church before I went home when I was born. Like, I've been to the church a couple times here and there. And I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means, but I would call myself a very disciplined person. And I full-on believe I am who I am today because my parents prioritized us being at church. It's like, if you're sick, grab a bag. We're going to church. If you're tired, you're sleeping on the pew. We're going to church. Like, there was, my mother is the one laughing over there, and she's very British, and you'll probably hear her snort at some point. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but she's, she's a strong woman, and not going to church was not an option. And uh, I'm so thankful to have grown up in a family like that, and I encourage each and every one of us to prioritize being at church, especially you dads. I'm not just talking about, like, coming and bringing your family to church. Like Pastor Adam was talking about last, last week, like, come on, honey, we're going to church. You know what I mean? But I'm talking, like, when you're at church, like, being at church, like, let your kids watch you worship. Like, be here, be present, be at prayer, like, commit to praying. Be present for your children. And here, here let me take this a little higher. I'm not just talking about you parents. I see All of you older generation, and it encourages my faith. When I see you here, when I see you committed and worshiping, I see some of the Mavises in our house here several times a week. And I'm not calling you to come here several times a week. I'm just saying, committed to the house of God, committed to the faith community. And if you have yet to commit yourself to a faith community, welcome home. You're here. This is awesome. This is the best place for you to be. If you have any desire whatsoever to know God or to grow in him, you cannot do it alone. You can't. And let me tell you something else. Your children can't do it alone. They can't. We won't survive. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Can I get an amen? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Parents, your children need to be in church. They need to be in church. Downstairs, there is an incredible move of God happening in our children's ministry. Your children will know the Bible and will love the Bible and will grow in community with one another so that when they become teenagers, students, come to youth group. It's powerful. And I'm not just saying that as the student pastor because I want my name to look good. It has nothing to do with me. My life is changed because of youth group. Because I had leaders and mentors in my life who walked with me through my horrible moments, who stayed with me, who like played Crash Bandicoot on GameCube when I was a loser, but hung out with me anyways because they chose to love me, and it absolutely changed my life. Each and every one of you parents, I encourage you to encourage your students to come to youth group. I promise you that, that godly influence, that godly friendship, that authentic community, we need it. Every one of us need it. Get in a small group. Join something and be committed to the local church together. We need to prioritize church as a family and be here, be present when we are here. Is that okay? Lastly, we need to participate in the development of the younger generation. Now, I'm not just talking about parents today because parents, you're, you're, you're in it. But I'm talking about each and every one of us called to generational living. You know, I'm talking from the oldest generation passing it on to the younger. And that generation passing it on to the next. And that generation passing it on. I'm calling you students. Start serving in kids ministry. Pass it on to the next generation. You millennials, mentor a student. Be present in someone's life. We all need to be a participant and the development of the next generation if we want to see this generational living actually become a thing. And this is God's design. It's not just my plan. It's not something cute that I came up with. This is God's plan and God's design, and each and every one of us are called to that. So how do we do it? First of all, we need to be an example to them, to the younger generation. I promise you, younger people in the church today, they're watching you. They see how you serve. They see how you act and respond and talk. They see how you worship. Each and every one of you are an example to the next. Younger generation, all my students out there, young people watch you. Young students, young children look up to you. And we as a community of faith are called to be an example to those that come after us, right? 2 Timothy 3.14 says, For as for you, Paul's talking to Timothy here, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. There's this thing called, like, family. <laughs> and it's really important to how we act and how we believe as a church community. It's one thing to learn something from someone. It's another thing to know who you learned it from and to walk and to live and that. Each of us are called to be an example to the younger generation. Number two, intentionally impart to them. 
In Titus 2, we see this beautiful mixture of older women teaching younger women how to love their husbands, how to be good at working in the home, how to have self-control and pure. And we see older men teaching younger men how to be sober-minded and dignified, self-control, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. This beautiful dichotomy of the older teaching the younger. Can I just speak to the older generation for a second real quick? Although it's, and I'm going to include myself because... I'm not an older generation. We want your wisdom. I know it may not seem like your grandchildren, your children are listening to you. I promise you they're listening to you. They hear every single word you say. Although it might not seem like it, they do. And they desperately desire what you have to give them. Every single one of them. My most treasured moments are sitting with my 92-year-old grandmother and just listening to stories about her life. Because it is how she lived that attracts me. She has served Jesus literally her entire life, all 92 years. And I think that's the most incredible thing. Younger generation, can I speak to you for a second? Impartation has two sides to a coin. There's the giving and there's the receiving. All my millennials and Gen Zers out there, you need to ask your parents, your grandparents, those you look up to in this church community, for wisdom. Can I tell you something? You need it. I need it. We can't do this on our own, nor were we ever called to do it on our own. For generational living is God's plan from the beginning. Now lastly, this is super important. We need to be hopeful about the younger generation. We don't have a problem. We have an opportunity. Can I get an amen? We don't have a problem. We have an opportunity. Gen Z is not lost. Gen Z is not broken. There's not a fracture. There's not a fragment that can't be restored by the goodness of God. And I promise you that each and every one of us commit to prayer, commit to participation, commit to prioritizing church. Gen Z will return to Jesus. Those in our community who don't know him will return to Jesus. I believe that there is something happening in the air where we can't take it any longer. Like, it's so disconnected that it can't get any more disconnected. That either it's going to just crack or break, or else there's going to be a move of God and they're going to come back. I don't know about you, but I prefer the latter. Can I get an amen? There is revival happening in Gen Z. If you don't know what that means, it just means like something really cool is happening in churches and colleges and students. There's services happening for weeks at a time, like nonstop, weeks at a time that are started by Gen Z and happening by Gen Z. Like God is moving in this generation and I believe wholeheartedly that he's moving in King Carden and in the town and in this church and that each and every one of your students and each and every one of your children will know the Lord. Why don't we stand together? Let's stand as an act of hope, as an act of positivity in the sense of, hey, I know that it doesn't look good right now, but it will be. But it will be. Can I just like have everyone look at me real quick? Let's get hopeful. Let's get hopeful. Jesus' church is okay. It's going to be good. It's going to be okay. He has got the whole thing in the palm of his hand. 
And my challenge to each and every one of us is to put on hope, to carry this mantle of generational living because Jesus changes everything. Can I get an amen? Jesus changes everything. And you have Jesus. We know the truth. It is not up to our children or the younger generation to figure out values or morality or truth for themselves. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. And I encourage each and every one of us as we sing this together, I'm imparting hope onto you in Jesus' name. I'm imparting hope onto you in Jesus' name that we would stand up, rise up, and fight for our families, fight for our children, fight for our students, because Jesus can change their lives. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's sing this together.